Good morning and welcome to Waking Up to Grace, full grace with nothing in its place. This morning, uh, oh, I've been pondering for a, a little while when to do the next uh, Faith Without Works is Dead series, uh, the probably the final part in this uh, chapter in this series that uh, we, we've done on Faith Without Works is Dead. We're taking a closer look at the, the book of James and uh, trying to discern everything possible from it. Um, I am well aware, and uh, a lot of other people are probably well aware too, that the book of James is is uh, a very predominantly used book to put people under legalism. And, uh, you know, people can make legalism out of anything in the Bible. It's pretty easy to do if you pull things out of context and take away the meaning that it was meant to deliver. Um, but for the third uh, third part of the series, Faith Without Works is Dead, I want to take a look at James from the a vantage point that we only kind of mentioned and didn't fully explore. I want to take a look at the book of James in light of how we could view it in, in, in regards to the rest of scripture. So make it fit with scripture, in other words, where some of these things sound a, little, a lot different than what Paul says and, and what Paul teaches and maybe, you know, even what Jesus teaches and they start to sound legalistic. And so we've explored that avenue about the, the authenticity of the book. Was it written by, you know, James or which James was it written by? And, um, and does it fit scripture? So today and this morning, we're going to explore the avenue of, let's say it fits scripture. How do we make this work? How do we reconcile James when he speaks so differently? And the things that he says sound contrary to Paul in many ways and in many areas. So I'm going to take a stab at this. It felt it on my heart this morning and it felt like I was ready to go and we'll see how this goes. And, uh, you know, I hope that uh, this benefits you guys out there and, um, so I'm just going to kind of look through some of these passages. I got my Bible in front of me uh, this morning here. And so let's just take a look. There's there's some good stuff in, in the book of James that we can look at. And, you know, starting starting out with just the very beginning, let's first realize before we get started, like, uh, you know, as we had said in, in some of our uh, the two other um, Faith Without Works Dead is Dead series is that he doesn't, James isn't preaching the gospel here. He's not preaching salvation. He's not teaching us about Christ. So the only way that I can approach this, this book of this letter of James then is to look at it in light of that, just that. And so that when we look at it, we have to realize that he must be writing to people that are believers, that he's seen as believers. He's writing this to the believer for some reason. And, uh, and I think, under the right uh, under the right views, we could see that he was trying to encourage believers here. Um, so the the letter was written to the 12, 12 tribes scattered among the nations. And so James was Jewish and he's writing to a Jewish audience of believers, Jewish uh, Jewish believers of Christ. And so let's keep that in its context as we read. he's, not referring to salvation here, okay? So he, if he was referring to salvation, and and this was uh, if this is an authentic apostle and he wrote this, in order to put any apostolic value to it, we'd have to assume that he's not preaching salvation here because otherwise he would teach what salvation is, right? Okay, so let's just get that established and we'll move 
into the into the letter. Let's how can we see James in light of grace? How can we see James in light of what Paul taught about the gospel in light of the gospel itself? Can we make these difficult passages clear because of the the clarity of the other passages in scripture? I'm a firm believer that scripture is crystal clear when it comes to Christ and the gospel message. And just because somebody's in the darkness and can't see the light doesn't make it any less bright. There is crystal clarity clarity with the gospel and scripture. And so can we make James fit with that clarity? Well, let's just take a look at some passages here. Uh, he starts out, consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that testing, the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. So that could be the renewing of our minds, you know, and how we're developing as Christians. And uh, that's encouraging. If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault. Interesting. So we should ask God for things. And uh, God doesn't find fault. He gives generously without finding fault to the believers, right? He wouldn't be speaking to non-believers about something like that, because there's a lot of fault to be found with that. It's either you believe or you don't, right? So God gives generously without finding fault. That's solid. You know, I have no problem with that at all. And uh, oh, phone ringing. Sorry about that, you guys. I am going to hit pause just to make sure I don't got to take this. Okay, so then he goes on. He says, but when he asks, he must believe and not doubt. Because he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That man should not think he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all he does. Well, that describes legalism, actually. You know, when you think about that, doubting, you know, or, or do we believe? Do we believe God when he said that he's forgiven us as far as east is from the west, that he's made us perfect forever? Do we believe and not doubt, or are we doubting? Think about that for a moment. You know, James James could be solid on that uh, on that statement right there for sure. So you know, what I'm saying this in, in a way because our our other videos, you know, we're we're casting uh, you know the doubt side of James. So you know, that's that's reinforced some of these things. There's some some good stuff here. And then he goes on to say, "Don't be deceived, my dear brothers. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth, that we might be a kind of first fruits of all He created." Wow. So you know, he's talking to a Jewish Jewish audience. And so the Jewish people were maybe sort of the first fruits because Jesus came to them first, right? And um, so, but nonetheless, he chose to give, give them birth through his word. So he's talking about regeneration. And he's saying that God chose to give that to him. He's, he's, he's holding highly in regards God's sovereignty here. So he's saying that uh, he, he just said that anything uh, that is good and perfect comes from above. So let's keep that in mind when we read these passages. Faith without works is dead, and I'll show you my works by my faith. Maybe he's not actually trying to say <clears throat> what it sounds like he's saying. Let's just explore that. And so then he, he says another uh, passage here about the law, and this starts to, to, to really 
um, to really bother somebody um, who's reading Paul, you know, and, and that's what we do because Paul is a preacher of the Gentiles. He's the right hand man. So we read Paul and then we come to James and he says, but the man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do this, not forgetting what he has heard, but, but doing it, he will be blessed in what he does. The man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom Paul said the law was a curse. If anybody's read the Apostle Paul's writings, he's saying that the law was a curse and the law was brought into so that sin and transgression would increase, which was to lead us to humbleness because we can't come to Christ unless we're humbled before him. Why is he saying that the perfect law gives freedom? Well, he's not referring to the law of Moses. So he, you, you could, you could say that he's referring to the law of Christ, the law of love, the law that uh, the Christ love coming from our hearts now, the way that the law was written on our hearts and on our minds as Christians, and um, <clears throat> excuse me, and Ezekiel describes the process that he gives us a new, a new heart. He takes out our heart of stone, gives us a new heart, a new spirit, and then puts his spirit within us. And so we have all these new things. And so, uh, and then it says, after that, he says uh, in Ezekiel that he will move us to, um, uh, move us to, a, I forget the exact wording, to be obedient to his his laws or uh, something along those lines. Sorry for my uh, miss, uh, you know, missing the, the words there, but he's going to move us to be obedient to his laws. But he didn't say obedient to the law. He's not writing 613 laws on our hearts he's writing his law his laws his laws of love the loving nature the fruits of the spirit those things are written on our hearts he's not talking about the law of moses because the law of moses brings wrath and so james here could you know if we're going to make it fit with scripture he's not talking about that law that would be silly. <laughs> I mean come on. You have a, a complete opposition to Paul? No, he's talking about the law of love and if we look let's just say that uh, we look intently into that uh and and uh and we continue in that all that is is embracing Christ's love and that's how his love comes through us. It it's a, like a a living breathing uh spirit. He he comes into us and his love comes out of us. So that works, right? That can work. And then he also seems to have a clear understanding about the law of Moses, which would affirm what I'm saying, and that he's not talking about the law, the same law. So later on, he says, if, if uh, uh, he says, for whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. So he knows that the law of Moses is impossible. If you stumble in just one area, you've broken all of it. So, so what he would be doing here, and if we're looking at it in light of all of scripture and James is fitting in here, you know, we're saying he's he understands the law then, right? And uh, so he wouldn't be preaching the law to anybody. He wouldn't be putting anybody under law then. And he, he's also not preaching the gospel of salvation to people. So he's speaking to Christians to encourage them. And so then when we hit these harder passages, you know, and, and there's a lot more to this than what I'm what I'm going to be going over here. But I'm going to go over some of some of the harder passages that um, that, you know, somebody under grace could really stumble on when when a legalist is coming at them. 
And, you know, if anybody thinks that this is being overcomplicated, nobody, then they either haven't been freed from legalism or they don't understand grace or, or uh, you know, something because it's, you know, the, the book of James is one of the one of the hardest books to justify for us as Christians at times because of some of the passages that have been just so terribly abused through the years of Christianity. So we, this is only complicated because the legalists made it complicated. Let's just be clear on that. Um, and I'm saying this based on some comments, you know, that were made. And I, I always know if somebody's, if somebody's just, you know, in love with the book of James to the point where they're mad at some of the things we're saying, they're, they're probably not under grace. And, and if they are, then, you know, maybe, maybe they got some other hang up. But from my experience, when, when you converse with people, you know, when they're at any point following these these rules of legalism, it's just a circle. It just goes into a circle. And at the end, it's all revealed that they believe in a works-based salvation. And they think you're going to hell because you're not working your way to salvation. And yet they think somehow they're going to make it. Makes no sense. Anyhow, continuing on, um, he says, what good is it, my brothers, if a man claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save him? So he's saying, can such faith save him? So he he's asking it. He's asking it in a in a you know a questioning way. He he didn't say those brothers are not saved if we don't see their deeds. He's not, you know, he didn't say that. He said, can such a faith save? He's getting people thinking. So he's he's wanting to make these Christians think about it a little bit more. You know, if if nothing is being produced inside of you, is that a saving faith? And so what he what he's probably referring to or what he could be referring to here is is our uh, reaffirmation being affirmed by the work that God's doing in us. If we find that God's not doing anything in us, maybe there's something wrong here. And so you know, maybe it's just sort of uh, kind of a wake-up call. You know, in, in Corinthians, uh, Paul Paul rebuked um, uh, the sexually immoral guy, and uh, he he rebuked him and actually judged his faith and judged his belief because he was going around doing awful things, promoting and boasting in awful things, and causing others to boast in them. So he was, there was nothing good coming from this guy. It was, it was pure wickedness, Paul described him as wicked. And so he, he also described him as a, a fake believer. He was acting like a believer. So, you know, there could be some of that. Maybe James is experiencing those same things because it wouldn't be a surprise that somebody would go around and start telling people, hey, we're free. We're free to sin all we want. And that doesn't come from God. That view doesn't come from the spirit of God. And so that would have to be rebuked. And um, most certainly that would... <laughs> Uh, you know, somebody who's born again isn't going to see things that way. It's a, you know, that mindset is what Paul rebuked in the people that were boasting with him. And um, so the story went on, you know, in Corinthians and the, they, they rejected him from the fellowship and he actually came back. And, um, you know, that's, that's a tricky passage. Uh, just a, a side note, because, um, you know, in the heading on my NIV version, it says, ex expel the immoral brother. But when you look closer at that passage, I came to realize that several times I've read it, I've been deceived um, because he came back and he thought he was just rebuking a brother. But the, some of the words that he says there, you know, lead you to realize that he was actually judging that guy's belief. 
and uh, saying that he wasn't acting right, therefore his heart wasn't right. And it's pretty interesting. And uh, so Expelliarmore Brothers, somebody who did the translating, put that heading on there, uh, you know, is actually causing people to stumble in a little bit of way, in a little way. I'm not going to say that they're, you know, it changes the gospel, changes our salvation, but it caused me to stumble and make an assumption about that, that passage that wasn't true. So be careful of headings. Watch out for those headings because those are just put there by the people translating. And, you know, they might have fell into the same same trap that, uh, you know, you do when you're reading it. You're like, oh, he came back. He was just rebuking him because certainly there could be sexual immorality on a, that is a, a committed by a Christian. We're under grace and things still happen. We still sin, even though we're saints. So it could have been a brother. But when you read carefully the verbiage, you come to find out that he wasn't seen him that way. He was judging him as a fake believer. Anyhow, uh, getting back to James, uh, he says, can such faith save him? He's just asking, you know, making people think, right? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to him, go, I wish you well, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing for his physical needs. What good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if not accompanied by actions, is dead. And and so, you know, we could easily just say that uh, all he's speaking of is for us to be looking at ourselves in this way. Let's look at ourselves in this way and let's be careful of false believers who are going around promoting sin, who are going around producing no kind of you're the, no visible fruit whatsoever. It's not that we're judging them based on their fruit because you can't. Jesus describes fruit as things that come from the truth. And so anything, I mean, it could be one little piece of fruit in your life, but you, your tree is still bearing nothing but good fruit. You don't bear bad fruit. A good tree can't bear bad fruit. So then James moves on. And he says, but someone will say, you have faith. I have deeds. And then uh, so, you know, he's proposing this, that somebody's going to say this to him or say this to you as a Christian. Well, you have faith. Uh, I have deeds. And um, someone will say this. And then he says, show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by what I do. You believe that there is one God good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. And so he seems to be speaking more than a commonplace faith when he says that, because, uh, you know, he mentions Jesus as Lord a few times. Um, but he doesn't really go beyond that. But in this statement, he seems to be saying something beyond that, doesn't he? And, and there's several things that would lead you to believe that. It's just that he doesn't really teach about Christ. He's teaching them, you know, you could say that he's teaching about the working of Christ in us, you could say, and that's that's what we're exploring here. Is that what he's talking about? And um, so he proposes a question, you know, you will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Well, he he's kind of saying that, show me your faith. I mean, you can't have one or the other deeds are nothing without faith and you know what he's saying is that faith really isn't anything without deeds i you know but that's let's look at this in context because there is no number of deeds that we're accountable for we're not comparing ourselves and we're not competing on this christian treadmill to see who has the best deeds and who can show them off can you show somebody belief by deeds can you show somebody the gospel can you can you evangelize Christ by your deeds? No, <laughs> but you can cause somebody to stumble by your deeds and you can cause somebody to 
um, to uh, actually be affirmed by by you and your deeds. You could cause somebody to stumble by doing bad deeds, and you can also encourage people by doing good deeds, right? So, so that's that that could be what he's saying here, and that would make sense, right? Um, so he's saying faith itself, uh, in the same way, faith by itself, if not accompanied by action, is dead. There is no such thing as a dead faith. Let's be clear here. So there is no such thing. And the Apostle Paul makes that perfectly clear in plenty of his writings. Uh, faith is, is distributed as by God, and in Ephesians that He had works prepared for us since the you know before time, basically. Uh, everything was already laid out. God already had works prepared for us. So what does that tell you? There are going to be works that come from us. But when we take James into, turn James into a way of comparing ourselves with each other and saying, I am more mature in the faith than you because you have not the deeds I have, that's silly. Come on. So that's, if he's an apostle, he's not, he's not saying it that way. None of the apostles would have spoken such a way. And if they did, they would have been in error. Um, so, um, continuing on, you foolish man, you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our ancestor Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? Um, so considered righteous, considered, he wasn't made righteous. He's saying, wasn't he considered righteous for what he did? Well, he was, he was made, given, uh, he was granted righteousness by God when he believed. And so he he would have to be speaking about something differently here for it to make any sense at all. And so there is there's a different righteousness that he's he's speaking of here if we're going to look at it in the proper context. And um, so let's just consider he was considered righteous for what he did. He was already righteous and what he did was considered righteous. Right. Uh, when he sacrificed Isaac on the altar. That certainly wasn't an action that wouldn't have come from faith. God God instilled that in, in Abraham. God, you know, every like James said, every good thing and good and perfect thing comes from above. That was God working in Abraham. That was God working through, through the faith that he gave Abraham. Uh, God opened Abraham's eyes and enlightened him. He wasn't born again, you know, because they didn't have Christ yet. We have the Christ in our heart, and that's there's a difference there. They were they were waiting for what they didn't clearly see, but they did believe. They believed God, just like we believe God today. But we have the Spirit and keep the Spirit, where the Spirit really just it worked differently to regenerate them and their eyes opening and having faith. That was how they were saved, and it's always been by faith. But now, by faith, God uses the faith mechanism to deliver the Holy Spirit to indwell in us. And that's amazing. So anyways, um, <clears throat> continuing on, um, he says, uh, you see that his faith and his actions were working together and his faith was made complete by what he did. So there again, it's a reaffirmation of his righteousness. It wasn't what made him righteous, but it's, an affirm it's affirming, it's solidifying his righteousness is what he's saying. There, it was made complete. His faith was made complete because God was working in him. God works in every believer. So let's be clear again about that. God is working in every believer, and sometimes you don't realize it, and sometimes you only see it in hindsight. 
don't ever doubt if you believe that God is working in you, even if some time goes by. Maybe it, maybe you know you had a day where you didn't think about it all that much, but God's living inside of you. He's going to work inside of you. Don't be discouraged. Be encouraged by this if you're going to read it. Be encouraged. So faith and actions are working together. So that's a that's a sign. God gives us a sign by changing our desires causing us to do things that we would have never done. Every Christian has experienced this phenomenon. If you haven't experienced this, you're missing out because God is working in, in every believer who has the spirit. He is. There's no doubt about it. James is just trying to point that out to you. There again, I'm, you know, I'm bringing this vantage point and you've, you've seen my other videos and now you see me saying it in a different way. I just want everybody to be clear on James. Every To the fullest extent, I want people to understand every angle of this letter, every angle of this book, because the legalists are going to use it against you, and don't let them bring you back under the law and start backsliding. So anyhow, a warning. <laughs> a warning because I care about you guys. I want you guys to love God and be in God's love, because that's what happens when God loves... We love God because he loved us first. And that's his love radiates out of us. You know, he's the son of God is like the sun and we're more just like a moon reflecting his glory. Everything is for his glory. Let's not hold ourselves in high regards. Our self is only good because God made us good. He put his spirit in our in our new heart with our new spirit. And so, every yeah, we produce good fruit. It's amazing. We We do good things. But don't blame yourself. <laughs> it comes from you. And it comes from you uniquely. And you can be proud of, of who Christ made you. But don't be proud of in, to the point where you believe that something came from you. It's to God's glory. That's just glory God in all things. It's not that hard. It's actually liberating. Um, so then he says, you foolish man, you want evidence? Uh, I, I already read that part. Um, and then he says, um, so the faith and uh, the the faith and his actions were working together, and his faith was made complete by what he did. It's made complete. It didn't make him saved. It didn't make him righteous, but it completed it. And there would be a sense of completion in him. So it was, it was for him, for his own good, to strengthen his own view of God's glory. I mean, how amazing is that? God's strengthening him and those who saw it. I mean, we're reading about it still today. And uh, Hebrews lists over and over by faith what these people did. And, it, and it's awesome. It's totally awesome. So don't, um, don't think for a minute because of what we said in Faith Without Works is Dead Part 1 and 2 that we're trying to say that Christianity is a dead faith and that it's totally cool to be dead and do nothing. Nobody does nothing. That's the point. A Christian will always be doing something. God is always active in the Christian. So, and then he says, and scripture was fulfilled, the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness, and he was called God's friend. You see that a person is justified by what he does and not by faith alone. And so he uses the word justified again, but what he was, but what he was just saying is that his faith was fulfilled, um, that it was fulfilled, and uh, you know, scripture was fulfilled, the fulfillment of his faith. It was fulfilled through God working through him and in him. And he's doing that in you guys as Christians every day. And you may not even realize it. 
And, and, you know, maybe, maybe the next, the, the big thing that God's waiting to do in you hasn't happened yet. And it will just have faith, have faith, believe in God, believe in what he told you, believe in what he tells you. These things will come. It's all good. So, so here he's saying that it was fulfilled and he uses the word justified again. I've, I've heard uh, of, um, of a scholar saying that the word justified takes on a different context in the original Greek. I'm not somebody to be all like, oh, you got to understand Greek to understand the Bible. Uh, but there's, there's, there's some things to it for sure. And uh, when it's, you just got to be careful because when a legalist starts telling you, well, the Greek says this and the Greek says that, just be <laughs> Be careful with that kind of rhetoric. Make sure you're following somebody that understands the gospel if they're going to start going into that kind of stuff. But I, anyhow, I've been heard. Um, I'm, I've heard it said that you know, and I and I know that this is true about Greek words is that they take on context based. Uh, the word means different things depending on the context, and so under this context, it's not the same justification. It's not being the same justification that we get by faith alone. And uh, so he's he's not saying that it's not faith alone that saves us. Again, he's not talking about salvation. He's not preaching salvation. So all he's trying to say is, is that it's it's a combination uh, that affirms our faith and that that affirms and fulfills this justification, this different kind of justification, where it's not by salvation. This is for the believers he wrote this to. They've already been saved. So think about that. These, they've already been saved. What he's saying is that this this helps justify our own faith before ourselves and maybe even others' faith. Because if somebody there again, you got you got uh, you do have false people, you know, going around uh, acting like Christian or saying they're Christian and doing nothing that acts Christian at all and not even holding Christ in any kind of regards, any kind of value. There's nothing, there's no love radiating from them. And so beware of that, you know, be careful of that. You know, they may be saved and maybe you just don't think they are. I mean, that's, that's okay too. I mean, you don't know everybody that's saved. You don't know what's on their heart. Sometimes people just don't speak from their heart. And, uh, you know, we, you know, God could change their mind at any time about a certain thing or this or that. You know, and uh, I think it's better to, and it can be hard at times to be more charitable and uh, say that people are saved unless something's coming from their mouth that, that seems very confirmed by their heart. That's very wrong. You know, let's try to be charitable with each other. But at the same time, you know, let's realize that there's a lot of phonies out there. There's phonies out there teaching bad teachings. And, uh, you know, I, and I can tell you that anybody who's promoting sin and everybody's promoting things opposite of the, the love of Christ is probably also promoting bad teaching. And if they're not promoting bad teaching, they're teaching badly by doing so. They're just making people stumble. And so I think that James is protecting, uh, you know, very likely what is happening in James here is he's, he would have been protecting people from such rhetoric, uh, protecting people from, um, you know, false believers. And then also, at the same time, you know, he was probably trying to encourage the believers. These are the fruits, you know, uh, this is this is what will come from your faith. He says it in a different way and in an odd way. But what he could be describing here is, is that uh, trying to teach people just like Paul did about the fruits of the spirit. 
love, kindness, and all these things. These are the fruits so that you know what to look for. You know, it's, it could, it could certainly be that. And his verbiage is just, has left it wide open, you know, to legalism, but is that his fault or is that the fault of the people who are following teachers blindly? Uh, you know, and there again, it's like, you know, I could, I could hold a grudge against a, a church who taught me wrong, but come on now. I mean, if you really look at things, God is the one who saves for one. God is the one who opens, opens our eyes, but you can't, you can't really blame a church when you're the one following it blindly either. So let's, let's not get mad at everybody else and start pointing fingers. You know, we, we should be accountable to our own beliefs. Don't follow people blindly because it's your own fault. Who, who are we going to blame in the final you know, on the day of judgment, you know, Christians aren't going to be judged, you know, but if you, if you didn't believe, you know, on that day of judgment, you're going to hide behind uh, another teacher and, and be like, oh, well, he, he told me. So that's why I believed it. I mean, that doesn't make any sense. So, oh God, although God is, is the, the keeper, or the, the keeper of all things and the giver of all things, you know, we don't have much of an excuse when we hide behind bad teachings and just take it in and, and don't, uh, and don't give it any thought. Scripture teaches us how to discern truth from error. It teaches us. And, uh, you know, it's bright as day. It's clear, clear as uh, clear as a bell. And um, so, you know, just because, like, there again, they, people can't see the light tower in the darkness doesn't make it any less bright. Um, and so then he says, in the same way, not even Rahab the prostitute consider. Um, uh, considered righteous for what she did was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction. As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. So he didn't say uh, faith without deeds is unsaved. He didn't say faith without deeds is, uh, you know, leads to damnation. He didn't say that. He said faith without deeds is dead. And so what, another thing that he, you know, clearly if he's talking to Christians, he's saying, come on, your faith is dead. You know, he could be describing the same thing that Jesus said, uh, you know, in uh, in Revelations when he was speaking to the different churches and that you guys are neither cold nor hot. You're lukewarm. Uh, and so I spit you out. He wasn't talking about salvation there either. He was just saying that they were lukewarm. They, their faith was dead, you could say. So, you know, that could jive. That could, that could certainly jive. And then, uh, you know, another good passage that he says is that uh, we all stumble in many ways. If, if, never, if anyone is uh, never at fault in what he says, he is a perfect man, able to keep his whole body in check. But he's saying we, we all stumble in many ways. That's, that's very true, too. And um, let's see if there's there's any other passages that I want to look at. Um, you know, I think that uh, the end of the end of James is pretty good too. And there's there's a lot of teaching in between. They, you know, he he. I know he at one point mentions uh, widows and how we have to take care of widows and and these things. And so, like, you, you probably. I'm imagining there's a lot of people out there that are, uh, you know, like, I'm going to go take care of widows. I'm making a mission out of that. But think about the situation. Think about the context and the situation just for a moment that they, they were in. They were living on the run. 
You know, if, if this was a group of Christians that he was talking to, they were on the run, they were being persecuted. They were living in communes, supporting each other because they were banished from society and probably couldn't even buy food. I mean, how horrible. And so if you had a widowed woman, she had nobody to take care of her, nobody. She didn't have a savings account to fall back on. She didn't have a retirement fund. She had nobody, nothing. And you needed a man in those days to take care of some things. And so they took care of each other in that way. How could you leave somebody destitute in the church and your body of believers? I mean, the church is uh, the way that we see it today is, is very different because there's not the same unity. I mean, you could go there day in and day out and be an introvert like I am. And you could go in day out and not even talk to anybody and not even feel a sense of unity if, you know, uh, theoretically at all, um, because uh, you don't really know what everybody believes. Uh, uh, you got this guy at the front teaching and, I, and uh, you know, what do people really believe? And then if they do believe everything that's at the front teaching, maybe maybe that's not a good thing a lot of times, too. Um, so anyhow, uh, let's, let's end with this prayer of faith that James says at the end. Is any of you in trouble? He should pray. Is anyone happy? Let him sing songs of praise. Is any one of you sick? He should call the elders of the church to pray over him and anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. Now, this isn't a, a healing thing and you know that everybody's going to be healed because you know that's that's remember that the the apostles were were ill paul was ill when he came to people timothy had a stomach ailments and paul said to drink some wine if if the healing thing was always just that easy they would have never been sick would they uh, but he says the lord will raise him up if he has sinned he will be forgiven so, and he says, therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. So he's saying that, you know, let's take care of each other. Let's heal each other. Our sins are forgiven. We're cleansed before God. But we should we should be helping each other keep keep in keep in line with things of the spirit. That's all he's saying there. So, you know, I mean, if if you look at several of the, the things in this in this light, you know, and, and like you, you know, like I said from the beginning, uh, everything needs to be seen in light of the gospel. Everything needs to be seen in light of the truth. And so if we take James from this approach, you can see that there could be something to be gained there. I, you know, his verbiage is interesting. His verbiage is odd. Maybe, maybe it's just that it's difficult. It's just a difficult read because, Maybe maybe it's because we're Gentiles. I mean, some people are Jewish, but I, I you know, I doubt they they have the the same um, uh, same strength of heritage that these guys did back then. You know, if you were just a, a you know a converted Christian from that from that lineage uh, of some sort, you know, and they you know, so the the Jewish apostles spoke more difficultly, even Peter uh, and John. And, but there's they're excellent writings. Uh, hands down. So I have I have doubts about James, and I and I toss it back and forth, as you guys have seen in video part one and part two, and here's part three. So in this video part three here, you've seen that I'm taking a stance uh, for grace, uh, taking a stance for James by through grace, and uh, you know there's there's other things in, in um, you know within the letter that you'd have to discern carefully for sure. Discern all things in light of truth, discern all things in light of gospel, the gospel, 
James wasn't preaching the gospel. And so when he says many of these things, he's not talking about salvation. When he was talking about justification, the context of that justification matters. And so you see that, you know, maybe, maybe it's not, um, maybe it's not as bad as it seems just putting that out there. And uh, so there you have it. I've looked at James from all the angles. So if you guys are out there and uh, you know, you you're somebody who understands grace and you like James and uh, and you, and you may, maybe you're, maybe you got a little upset at our part one and part two, just realize, you know, we're not, you know, I'm not out there to please people. I, I'm out here to, to try to help people. And so I want to look at James from all the angles and uh, there again, you know, this, there's a reason for this. There's a reason why we have to be careful with James. And it's because other people have overcomplicated James. Other people have used James for evil and to mislead people and lead people away from the cleansing. As Peter said, you've, the people that are doing all these bad things have forgotten their cleansing. So let's not go backwards and start backsliding into works and deeds for salvation. Let's not start backsliding into a salvation of works and deeds, or even a fellowship based on works and deeds, because there is no such thing as a Christian who is out of fellowship. You're either in or you're out. And when you're in, you're all in. And God is happy and he loves you. He is pleased with you. You are a new creation. So deeds are not going to get you any closer to God as a Christian. So faith without works is dead. Yeah, maybe it is. I mean, maybe maybe a, uh, if you're not doing anything, reconsider your cleansing, reconsider the love of God. May, maybe he maybe maybe he's going to use that passage to wake you up a little bit and make you realize, like, I'm not feeling the love of God. Well, why am I not feeling the love of God? Because I've forgotten all that he did for me. He forgave you as far as the east from the west. He's made you perfect forever. You are so clean and so in and so close with God that, I mean, he's inside of you, living through you. He's around you. You're in him. He's in you. Don't forget that. Those, those deeds are going to come naturally to you. Don't worry about it. Good works, good deeds are going to come right from the heart that he gave you at salvation, the new heart that you are guiding you now. So be, just, just be, be perfect, as Jesus said, be perfect, as your heavenly Father is perfect, and you are. So just be, just be, just live from the heart. Stop following the stinking thinking that's telling you to look over here. That sin looks fun. You know better. Sin doesn't make you happy as a Christian. So let's look past that. So, so here we have it, uh, about a different look at James. And, uh, you know, that's, uh, let's, uh, let's end it here on a good note, waking up to grace, full grace, nothing in its place. Uh, I hope you guys enjoyed the message. Don't forget we have a podcast. We're on Facebook and YouTube. Uh, we don't do a whole lot, but we are on Instagram and Twitter. If you want to check us out, haven't really endeavored too far down there. And, uh, you know, if you guys ever want to reach out to me personally and, you know, you don't want to make a public post, maybe you have a question, maybe you want to, uh, request something, you know, you can, uh, all my information's on all these platforms uh, with our, you know, you can go to our website and contact us from there. We have some information uh, and on our website that can help lead you to other information that we have at wakinguptograce.com. And uh, I think that, you know, if you like our ministry, definitely be familiar with our website because that website's ours, it's solid. And, um, 
you know, it's, it's, it's our website. So it's, we're not just renting the space. So that's pretty cool. And we're going to keep building on that. So I hope you guys had a, had a good time and God bless you guys out there. And uh, yeah, let's encourage each other in the faith, right? That's, that's uh, let's keep God's love and clear focus. Amen. Have a good day, guys.